next time Thomas asks me to preach, I'm just going to say I'm not stage appropriate. <laughs> Sorry, man. Uh, we are in a new sermon series entitled How to Be Yourself, and really uh, the, the song that we just sang together is probably a perfect summary of, of what this series is really all about. We're trying to understand how to claim our identities as beloved sons and daughters of God, how to live as if Christ really is the center um, of our lives. When the New Testament describes our identity, who we are, it uses this, this phrase, in Christ. Uh, and because we are in Christ, we share Christ's identity, right? Christ truly is the center of our life. And everything um, that, that, that uh, is true of, of Christ can be said of us as we share in Christ's identity. Uh, we are the objects of God's desire, the objects of God's acceptance, the objects of God's love, because we are, we are in Christ. And uh, we're not going to get too much into this in our series, kind of the ethics of all of this, but I want to point out, and just as a, there's a lot going on in our country right now, um, is an understatement, actually. Um, but I want to point out that part of learning how to be yourself, part of learning how to be yourself as God's beloved involves learning to see others as uh, God's beloved as well. And I do think that, in fact, the ability uh, to see others as beloved by God will tell you a lot about how well you understand yourself to be as well. Um, that's all I want to say about that for now. Uh, but we are beloved by God, and that we are beloved by God is the story that Scripture overwhelmingly tells about our lives. It is the truest thing about us. It's the truest thing about you. And yet, and yet, claiming this identity is very difficult. To live as if Christ is the center of our lives is very difficult to do. And I think part of what makes identity tricky, at least in our, our kind of uh, current culture, is that never before uh, in history, really, has identity been so self-determined, right? Unlike traditional cultures, in the modern West, uh, our identities are less kind of socially assigned to us and far more individually created, right? We have the freedom to decide who we want to be, right? where do we want to live, what job do we want to have? And for, uh, I think, all of the uh, good that's been made possible by, really, the good that's been made possible by the rise of this individualism, especially in, in terms of human rights, in terms of certain uh, economic and social progress, all that is good. But there are, there are new challenges. And primarily, this, there's this new challenge, uh, there's this new pressure to be authentic, right? To be the real you. Where do you look to find the real you? Do you look uh, inside of yourself? Do you look to your own dreams and to your own intuitions to kind of discover who the real you is? Maybe, maybe that's part of it, but I think we all can admit, um, if we're being honest with ourselves, how fickle we are, how fickle our desires and our dreams are uh, over the course of our lives. I think we can also admit that internally we're not sure if we have enough willpower to actually create our own uh, identity all by ourselves. I think it's actually more true that we look outside of ourselves more than we look inside of ourselves. And when we look outside of ourselves, we often um, kind of perform or do what the culture tells us to do, tells, uh, create an identity that the culture tells us we ought to have. A few years ago, Henry Nouwen said, it was probably more than a few years ago, but we'll, we'll go with a few years ago. Uh, Henry, Nouwen, Henry Nouwen identified there are these there's five myths that our culture tells 
uh, about our lives. And it's often that when we look to our culture to kind of create our identity or find our identity, it's often that we kind of get lost in one or maybe more of these myths. And last week we discovered the first of these myths, right? I am, I am what I do uh, is a myth that drives our culture, that drives us, our busy and efficient, uh, highly productive culture. And today we're going to look at another one of these myths. But what we discovered last week is that uh, Jesus finds himself, right? If we want to use that language, uh, they wouldn't have used that language in the ancient world. But Jesus finds himself by losing himself, right? He goes into the waters of baptism as Jesus of Nazareth, and he emerges on the other side uh, of those baptisms as the beloved son. And so maybe, perhaps claiming our identity as beloved sons and daughters of God is also about maybe losing part of ourselves, Perhaps maybe that part uh, that our culture tells us that we ought to have. So this morning we're going to explore the second myth that, that now in names, I am what I have. That's the myth we're going to look at today. I am what I have. And we're going to do this through a story in Matthew's gospel. We're going to be in Matthew 19, uh, verses 16 through 26. And so I think it'll be up there. I invite you to, to listen now. I cannot read that. I will read this. Then someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. And if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I have kept all of these. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich man, a rich person, to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded and said, Then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible but for God, all things are possible. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Holy God, we are here expecting, really needing, a word that only you can speak to us, a word that might free us, a word that might offer mercy that we are unable to give to ourselves or to receive from anyone else. Speak to us this morning through your word, we are listening. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. Amen. The original title of this sermon was, Was Jesus a Minimalist? But I think a better title is, This is Why We Can't Have Nice Things. (laughs) I think that uh, in this story, there's someone that we can all relate to. I can relate to him at least. And maybe I'm making too many assumptions about who makes the church um, in late July in Texas, by the way, congratulations. Um, 
But my guess is that if you're here this morning, that you are sincere, that you are a decent person who's trying to uh, take your faith seriously. And if you're not one of those people, you probably know one of those people, and they made you come this morning. (laughs) I see you. I see you. But this is not one of those occasions, right, in the Gospels when someone is trying to trick Jesus with a question. This man is sincere. He's decent. Uh, He's an earnest person who's really just trying to live out his faith. And yet, even in his sincerity, even in his kind of moral striving, he feels that something is lacking. Maybe you feel that, too, sometimes. And so he asks Jesus, what else should I do? By the way, if there is a moral to the story, it might simply be to just never ask Jesus this question. (laughs) This is a, you will not like the answer to that question. What else? Son of the living God. But Jesus' response to this is to basically tell him that you're playing the wrong game. You are playing the wrong game. He says, well, if you want to be perfect, go and and sell your possessions. In other words, if you want to keep playing that game, that perfection game, then there's always going to be something else for you to do. There's always going to be another thing. The logic here is similar to the logic that we explored last week. If there's just, uh, if I just do enough blank, then I will arrive at kind of a fulfilling life, a fulfilling identity. I will be satisfied in some way. I will have earned it. There's a curious detail here, though. Selling one's possessions is not, uh, is not a requirement of the law like these other commands are. So why does Jesus tell him to sell his possessions? One reason, I think, is that Jesus is making a point about the logic of the kingdom of God. He's trying to show us that the kingdom of God doesn't really work like we think it should work. Faith is not just another thing that you you add. It's not just another thing that you kind of take possession of in addition to everything else that you've got going on. Faith actually takes possession of you. And so Jesus is saying that to enter the kingdom of God, you have to come to terms You have to come to to terms with the fact that you are no longer your own. That your life doesn't belong to you. And for this rich man, and for those of us whose possessions give us the illusion, and it is an illusion, of, of power and control over our own lives, this is a hard word to hear. This is very difficult. And I want you to hear me that that building an identity on what you have, like all the other myths that we are going to explore, right? Is, uh, is a bad idea, right? It's unstable, it's falsifiable, uh, it's temporary. It will let you down. But of all the other myths, I think this might be the most powerful. It is a powerful myth. We are inundated with advertisers who are very, very good at their jobs. And good advertising doesn't just sell you a product. Right? It sells you on a version of yourself usually an improved version of yourself, they're doing their jobs right, uh, with, with their product, right? I heard this, or I saw this ad just this week. It captures this mythology perfectly. It said this, it was a car ad, and it said, a car is really an extension of yourself, of your brand, whatever that is, and your values. It really isn't. <laughs> you are a person. A car is a machine that depreciates as soon as you think about buying it. (laughs) 
I know it's a bit on the nose, but it, this isn't like, we get captivated by this all the time. Like we're making fun of it, but we're like, yeah, I believe that just this week when I bought that thing because I wanted to be seen a certain way. Right, when, when my family and I'm, well, it was just my wife and I, when we moved uh, up to the Northeast so that I could attend seminary, we thought, you know what? Let's sell a car and I will ride a bike. I, like, I hadn't ridden a bike since I was 14 years old, like in my neighborhood. But I was like, I, I really think that I'm a bike guy. <laughs> so I bought a really nice bike. And then I got to Princeton and I realized I was a bus guy. <laughs> I was a bus guy. And I rode that bus faithfully uh, to and from class. And that bike, that bike stayed in the shed. Uh, where it was. I wasn't a bike guy. I was a bus guy. You can't buy yourself an identity. You can't do it. That bike is still hanging in my garage, collecting dust now. Someday I will be a bike guy. Maybe. Maybe I need a different bike. (laughs) A better bike. Surely I'm not the only person who does this. So what should we do? Should we, as Jesus tells the man in the parable, should we sell everything we have? Should we give the money to the poor? Or should we, at the very least, follow Mari Kondo's advice? And Marie, I think I'm pronouncing that right, our lives, getting rid of everything that doesn't spark joy. Do you know this? Do you know Mari Kondo, everyone? Okay. Well, if you don't know, uh, Mari Kondo has helped a lot of people declutter their, their homes and embrace minimalism. Uh, through her books on tidying up, decluttering, and, and most recently through her show on Netflix. You can watch it on Netflix. I think it's called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Uh, her central message, if you've seen it, if you haven't seen it, uh, is that most of the stuff we own is not only pointless and unnecessary, but actually it really does hold us back from, from becoming satisfied um, people. And the basic gist of this method that she has is to take a look at your possessions. So go to your closet or maybe go to your garage and to, to take a possession in your hand, something you have, a pair of shoes, a wrench, I don't know, um, and decide whether it sparks joy. It's great. So if sparks don't fly, so if that wrench is just not the wrench for you, uh, the item is going to get donated, it's going to get sold or, or, or thrown away, right? Um, my very hypothetical advice is that if you're going to do this, make sure that, um, that your spouse or your roommate or your partner is, uh, is also there with you because you, you have very different ideas about what sparks joy than that person. Very hypothetical, this could happen to you. Um, but there's a, lot more, there's a lot more to her method than this, and it's, it's a great method. I actually like, think this, this, is, this is something we should all do. In general, I think she's right. Like, we, we have way more stuff than, than, we, than we need, than is really necessary right? And be forewarned, if you watch her show, like, you will have a hard time looking at your closet or your garage, like, ever again. On the other hand, I don't hear Jesus uh, say to the rich man here, you know what? Just give away everything that you're not really using right now. (laughs) Or the stuff that doesn't just really spark joy for you, that you really love. Give that away. Sell that to the poor, or sell that, give the money to the poor. He doesn't say that. So if we're to take Jesus seriously here, it probably won't do to just kind of reduce his message to a, a, a version of 21st century minimalism. And as an aspiring minimalist myself, I, I do want to add, I think it's possible that for all of its virtues, minimalism is just uh, uh, another side to the same coin. It's just another way to define ourselves by what we have slash don't have, right? 
back, back to the text. At this point, the disciples are confused, which is very on brand um, for them. But they assume that, that such a sincere and devout person, right, uh, someone who has their life together, who has obviously done very well for himself, is a shoe-in for the kingdom of God, right? They're like, if, if, if not him, then like who? Who is in? So notice that in response to their question, who then can be saved? Jesus doesn't say, I know, right? <laughs> Beats me. Um, he also doesn't say only those who give up everything can get into the kingdom of God. He doesn't say that either. Indicating maybe to us, hinting to us, that possessions aren't really the thing. He says only that if they are determined to do it on their own, with their own power, with their own striving, that it will be impossible then. Because when a person identifies themselves with what they have, the idea of grace just is absurd. Reminds me of something Dallas Willard said years ago about God letting everyone into heaven that could stand to be there. In Mark's gospel, that has the same story, we find something that Matthew leaves out of his telling of the story. Mark tells us that looking at him, Jesus loved him. He loved him. The most important lesson, I think, that we can draw out of this text for this morning is that an encounter with Jesus, a real encounter with Jesus, is that Jesus demands far more of us than we think that we can actually give, that we think that we can actually stand. And yet at the same time, at the same time, in the same moment, Jesus offers more grace and Jesus offers more mercy than we might have expected. And I think that it's in the balance of these things, the balance of these things working together that we truly do grow into our true self. Realizing, I think, that the demands that, uh, that Jesus makes will cost us this very identity that we've, we've, we cling to, that we really like, but also trusting Trusting that the grace and mercy of God that Jesus offers to us will sincerely be enough. Sincerely be enough. So my friends, it is out of love for, for us too. It's out of love for us that Jesus also asks, up, asks us to give up identifying ourselves with what we have. It's just a bad idea. Even in the midst of a culture in which maybe this doesn't seem possible, Hear the promise that Christ offers to us. Even in a culture in which this doesn't seem possible, Jesus assures us that with God all things actually are. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.